All right, everybody, welcome to Street Fight Radio. This is a bonus edition. Uh, as as you know, we are doing a fundraiser this month in t-shirt uh, brought to you by one of our favorites, uh, Gina Lerman. You can find uh, them over at learnworm.com. And they did a really nice all-connected um, t-shirt and long sleeve shirt and we even have kids shirts now and the deal with all of our shirts is they are 100% union made and manufactured um, and we're going to split the proceeds three ways so street fight will get it get a third Gina will get a third and then we're going to give the rest to prison health news and in order to let you know where exactly your money is going today on the show I have from prison health news Susie Subways thanks for having thanks for being here Thank you so much, Brett. Uh, so, uh, real quick, how's your day going? Um, it's pretty good. My mom was exposed to COVID at her church, so I'm a little stressed out. But other than that, good. Yeah, that is that is frustrating. Um, I tried to go to the grocery store, which was a you know a bad idea, but during COVID, is even worse idea. Because <laughs> there was the lines were out the door because of all the minimum the capacity rulings and everything so yeah. i i had to just go to a small like corner store right yeah sometimes in the corner store they don't wear masks and and yeah <laughs> that's, that's a, a lot that too so um what what is uh what is the goal of prison health news yeah so we are giving information to people in prison about health so they people in prison um really don't get access to like general information about health um, and also like their own information. So they might have several chronic illnesses and not know what their diagnosis is. So first of all, there's just like general medical literacy, but also empowerment, like how to talk to the medical staff. And then we also have uh, articles about like specific illnesses, chronic illnesses and, um, things that are going around, you know, there's a lot of random diseases that people still get in prison that you don't get, you don't see much outside, like MRSA, scabies, you know, unless you're a crusty punk, you're probably not getting scabies, but, um, in prison. Yeah. Um, and so we, um, have articles written by people in prison who have survived, you know, cancer. How did you survive cancer? How did you ab advocate for yourself? So our articles are all for people who are currently incarcerated. And it's all, it's all meant to be uh, informative uh, on, on personal health information. Um, is, is this, how is, how often does this come out? Is it a book? Is it a pamphlet? Uh, it's a newsletter. It comes out four times a year. It's very humble. It's, um, you know, actually um, it only costs $1 to print and mail each copy. So basically since it's black and white, it's on eight and a half by 11 paper that's just folded, four pages of paper that's folded. Um, and so the printing and mailing um, is really efficient. So yeah, four times a year. And we have some art in there. Um, it would look better if it had color, but we're just trying to keep it streamlined. <laughs> <laughs> we do a black and white zine too. 
It's awesome. just once you do the budget, it's the color is like, yeah, they can fill it in in their minds. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, what mo like what uh, what information like what motivates you to to put certain information in there? Are there trends like you said? Do you do you focus on cold and flu season around this time of the year? Um, are there old diseases that come back, or do you wait if there's an outbreak at a nearby prison? How do you decide what goes into the newsletters? Yeah, good question. Yeah, so um, COVID nineteen is a big topic right now. Also, hepatitis C is huge in the prisons. So most of our readers are in state prisons around the country. Some are in federal. Um, and yeah, so we're national. We have 5,000 subscribers in prison nationally. Um, and hepatitis C is like, um, you know, some of the estimates are that it's like uh, 20% of people in prison have hepatitis C. It's a, actually a deadly uh, disease. Um, and it, it could be much higher because they don't usually test. Like a lot of states don't test to see if anyone has hepatitis C there and only 3% are getting treatment. So a lot of people are dying of hepatitis C in prison. And like, I just, my first thought when COVID came out was like, oh my God, like I was just going to try to figure out how to maybe organize a national coalition to try to, you know, save lives, you know, with the hepatitis C. And then now there's this other thing that's totally overshadowed it and we don't have time. Like we're totally overextended. So that sucks. But yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. So hepatitis C is, is just one of those preventable, um, easy to, to cure issues. But when you're in prison, it becomes a huge problem, right? That's right. I mean, it's because the drug companies, you know, they charge so much. I mean, it's, it's thousands, like $20,000 for the cure, the hepatitis C cure. And it used to be 80,000, but it's like, you know, with the opioid epidemic, most people are getting it via injection drug use. So, um, it's, it's a stigmatized population. And then in, in prison, the budgets are, the budgets for healthcare are really low. I, anyway, they don't have the res they literally don't have the resources, so it's like they've got to negotiate. There's got to be some type of negotiating with these drug companies to lower the prices, and that's just not. It's happening in some states, but it just needs to happen in a, on a much larger scale. And do you, do you know how those resources are usually plan uh, like planned out, or are they just given a, a budget budget for healthcare and things like that, and they just have to make it work? Is it, does it come down to needs or does it just come down to how much they'll give you, give the prison? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of cost cutting measures. Yeah. They basically just have a limited budget and, um, especially in states where there's private healthcare. So, um, the companies that do the private healthcare get, you know, a certain amount of money from the state to do that. And then it's profit, like anything that they don't use is profit. So their motive is not to heal people, it's to make a profit. So they're going to do as little as they can. And also in some places there are co-pays, there are co-pays up to $8 just to see the doctor. And for people in prison, they're making 11 cents to 60 cents an hour if they have a job. So it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they just, yeah. And then, like you said, they, they kind of blame it on them. Like, well, you shouldn't have ended up in prison. Otherwise, you would have been fine. Uh, and then it becomes just a big justification on why we're treating and letting people just rot in, rot in jail like this. That's absolutely right. You hear that all the time. You know, people are like, 
do the do the crime, do the time. But it's not. And even the Constitution says it's the Eighth Amendment is like cruel, no cruel or unusual punishment. So people in prison are you know, becoming jailhouse lawyers. So they'll sue to get treatment for hepatitis C or for something else, because um, if they can prove um, deliberate indifference, um, then they oh. can um, win. Yeah, they can actually win their case. If they, so it's just a matter of documenting all the times you try to get help and, and the amount of times you got ignored and proving that they didn't, they ignored an, uh, an obvious health issue, essentially? That's right. Yeah, I mean, medical neglect in prison is pretty much fine with the courts, but if you can prove, like, that they knew that there was serious risk to your health and, and life and that they did nothing, then you can, it, people have won their cases. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's very frustrating. Um, and especially when you, I mean, the, the, the population that makes up the, the prison there, um, is, you know, the marginalized members of society usually in there for something that is, is not even a violent crime. Um, and you know, with COVID spiking, you know, it, it becomes a death sentence. I mean, we even saw, there was those guys that the militia guys in Ohio that were going to try to, to take over the governor in Michigan, try to take her hostage uh, yeah. because they didn't believe in all the, the COVID guidelines. Uh, one of them asked to get to asked uh, to be to, I'm sorry, asked to wait for their arraignment outside of jail. So that way they wouldn't be exposed to COVID while they were in jail, like why they were waiting. Um and, right. And so, and that kind of, I mean, that, that kind of does say that it kind of does reveal, um, the ideology think of, I think of like the average of American, uh, which is, uh, well, I don't deserve to get COVID and go to jail. Like I did, I just, I'm a different type of criminal. You know? Like I'm a, I'm a, yeah. I'm a virtuous one or, you know, I have, a, I have a better reason than everybody else here. here <laughs> yeah. You know? That is so real. That's uh, so real. And there's, yeah. Go ahead. No. You're the guest. There's just a lot of blaming the victim, you know, in our society. So people are poor. It's your fault. If you made a mistake a long time ago, it's your fault. And you just should never get out, you know, get out of prison kind of thing. I mean, yeah. people do, people do regret, you know, these things, but there's so many elderly people in prison who've just been in there for decades. Right. Right. And don't have someone to advocate or don't have the access to the money or the, the resources of the lawyer, whoever it is. And, <laughs> There's enough neglect to go around that they no one no one checks on them anymore or pays attention. Um, it, in your fundraising or or advocacy, are are you reaching out to the general public or are you going towards more people that um, more people that support the cause? I'm asking like I'm asking that just in like, do you get kind of a nasty response sometimes when you tell people what you're trying to do? We haven't had any nasty responses. I mean, generally we go for the low hanging fruit, like our social networks. I mean, with online fundraising um, and community based fundraising, you want to ask your friends of friends. Their fa they can ask their families and say, this is why it's important to me. The amazing thing is that my father has donated a lot and we used to just yell at each other about this issue. Um, he voted for Reagan, not once, but twice, as the dead milkman said. <laughs> Um, and you know, it's just kind of amazing. So I think anyone can be won over to this issue. It's just, you know, my father, you reach him with logic. So like the question of COVID-19, right. They've been, there have been studies showing that, um, people who have violent 
crimes actually have a much lower recidivism, sorry, recidivism rate. So they're much less likely to reoffend or whatever. Then nonviolent, it's very, it's because if you're caught up in the drug trade, you're probably getting arrested again and again. Whereas someone who got in a bar fight when they were young or something, they're probably not going to kill anyone again. They're actually not like a murderer per se. And especially if they're over 55, the statistics just say actually it's smart to release people over 55, you know, who have, you know, most people with a violent offense. And so those are the people who are dying of COVID is the people who have got these decades and decades long sentences, life sentences. And now they're 80. They're like 80 or 90. Yeah. I I had a good friend that the exact scenario happened. His cousin was getting jumped by like three or four guys and he ran up to help and he punched one of them in the back of the head and he felt and he fell backward or he fell and hit his head and died. Oh and, my God. Yeah. And, yeah. And he was 19 years old. He wasn't even old enough to drink. And, uh, oh my God. he had enough. He was able to avoid jail time and everything, but he has a felony murder on his record and he's like a brilliant chef. And I've seen him in tears several times because he'll just lie to, to get an interview and they'll say he'll get the job and love it. And then they run the background check and say, you're not eligible, you know, but he's not that person. He's a 40 year old man now, you know, <laughs> he's twice right. the age of when that happened. And, uh, and it, it, a lot of it isn't based on any sort of logic. You know, a lot of it is based, I think, mostly on fear and assumptions about bad people and, you know, people just being bad apples and stuck that way forever. Um, we have a really hard time in this world of understanding the circumstances that create that. And understandably so, because I have been in the drug trade and I have been close to dangerous circumstances. So I know how easy it is for me to slide in there. But for other people that don't, like they really just... They have TVs, they have movies, they have water cooler talk, and it just really sounds like someone decided to do drugs someday and then they turned into a bad person, you know? They just make up this fairy tale thing. Exactly. I think it also, like, anything that's really disturbing, um, people want to put it out of our minds because we have enough to worry about. So it's easier to think those people just deserve whatever happened to them. You're right. Yeah, yeah. And like, I'm, you know, I'm spending how many hours a day just flicking through Twitter or scrolling around on my phone. And like, I have the extra five minutes to consider, you know, the, the, the conditions of our local prison and how those people are being treated. Cause nobody else is, no one else is thinking about that. Um, and, and I mean, I, I, I couldn't even, I, I mean, I couldn't deal with it. I, I feel way too sensitive already just thinking about how terrible it is. Um, so I do appreciate that you're you're trying to do this because it's a huge challenge. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I talk to my therapist about it all the time. Ah. It really is. It's like a secondary trauma, like kind of. Yeah, and we talk to each other in our group. We have uh, like 40 volunteers right now. We're all volunteers. Okay. We talk to each other about it. We're like, because we answer letters from people in prison all over the country. Um, we get hundreds and hundreds of letters. And so we have a whole crew of people responding with health, health information. And so there's a lot of horror stories. Um, you know, like just one I read in the paper, this was a few years ago, but this guy swallowed a razor blade so he could go to the hospital because he, he was, his, his illnesses were just not being taken care of. It's just that kind of thing. So you read these horror stories oh my God. and you're like, ah, uh, I need to like talk to someone about this. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, I, um, you know, not exactly related, but just doing the podcast and doing the show, and, and we do a show for broke people and anarchists and, and service work people. And awesome. It's, I mean, it really is trying. I get emails, several emails a week of people that are like at the end of their rope and don't know what to do. And they're asking me for some sort of assistance or advice, you know, and they're not throwing it all on my plate or anything like that. But it does like it builds inside of you. There's a psychic toll that all of it takes on you. You know, like if I just shut off the computer and went to work, I'd have to deal with my little local network. But when you open yourself up so wide like this, you really don't understand how, how much the sadness of other people can really, can really affect your situation. You know? Uh, yeah, that's, that's real. Um, so how, so how long have you been doing this for? Um, myself, 11 years. Um, yeah, the uh, Prison Health News was started in 2003 by um, my mentor, John Val, who um, was a formerly incarcerated Black Vietnam veteran who had hepatitis C and HIV, and he passed in 2012. And um, it was co-founded by Laura McTie, who um, moved on. She's a professor in Florida. And then, um, yeah, I started working on it in um, uh, 2009. Okay. And uh, I mean, what kind of what led you there, though? Like personally, have you? You said you were arguing with your dad. Have you just always been this way, or was there a reckoning? I've been this way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'm an anarchist. I'm I'm 46 right now. Um, it just feels like I I blink and there's another year. But um, yeah. So I've been an anarchist for 30 years, then an activist, then an organizer. Um, here in Philadelphia and in New York City. And I remember in the 90s, it was under Bill Clinton, you know, that um, crime bill that we, we actually are hearing more about it now. But in 1994, that was happening. And I remember that. And I remember the three strikes laws in California that was like the precursor. Like, basically, you could steal things three different times and then you're like, you do life in prison. Like, um, maybe it was 25 years of life or something like that. But it's just a really severe... So a lot of these folks who are now in their, you know, who are very getting older, like it's really impacting a lot of people, but we could see that coming in the nineties. And, um, that's what I was yelling at my dad about. (laughs) (laughs) I have a, I have a niece that is seven and in the car, when we drive past the police, she gives them a thumbs down. Thumbs down, and she That's educates awesome. all of her friends on civil rights and all this stuff. And I'm already, she's already trouble, and it's so funny to see, like, because I, I was not, I was not raised or born that way. I, I took a my parents come from a very conservative family, and uh, I kind of believed what they said. But when I was out on my own, I, on my own, I kind of figured out what was up. You know, like I figured out what was actually going on, and I, I was, I felt camaraderie with the people that I was struggling struggling with i didn't feel like i was better than them or that i deserved more or anything and i felt that we all all put in the same amount of effort um but you know it takes different ways to get here you know all to, to get to all of it so uh as a anarchist uh what what is your like how do you feel i guess about the uh the current political sphere i mean i'm not big into elections and stuff myself but um i've just i've been really i've had a problem 
I don't, I was not prepared for the election. And when Joe Biden won, it really was like a punch in the stomach because I can deal with the Trump. Like we know what's going on with Trump. Uh-huh. But when I think about like Obama years is when Obama is what turned me into a full blown anarchist. Um, when it was like the Democrats are actually doing all of the stuff that I hated George Bush for, you know, they continued all of George yeah. Bush's policies. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I spent the last eight years screaming at my family members, telling them all this stuff is wrong. I can't step through that front door and and say that it's okay when Obama does it. And that's where I'm at now. I've ar- we already see people just turning away. Like, well, things are back to order. People are already saying, you know, uh, well, he's not going to be able to get much done in his first term. He has to fix what Trump did, and and. Uh, so for me, the only thing that I can find solace in is like food, not bombs and just like giving food to somebody that needs it because I don't know how to make any other sense of, of the political sphere. I didn't mean to dump all of that on you. <laughs> I just <laughs> no, want to know what you think. About, yeah, I think about this all the time, man. It's really frustrating. Um, yeah, I mean, Obama had both houses of um, Congress were Democrat his first couple years and he did not close Guantan- Guantanamo. He's the one who was locking up mothers and babies in immigration detention centers. And, um, you know, when I tell people that they think I'm a Trump supporter. So it's like, I think honestly, what you're doing is really great because you're reaching people beyond the activist bubble. And that's, that's what we need to do. Yeah. Like the app, the activist bubble, the people who work in nonprofits, I mean, people like me really, are doing a lot of work to try to protect the Democrats and do legwork for the Democrats. But Democrats are the party of Wall Street. They are running, they are doing the bidding of Wall Street and like the people who you owe owe your student loans to and your health bills to, and they're not our friend. But so like, I just think like organizing with people or even just talking to people outside of like liberal elite kind of, I mean, I think there really is something to that idea of a liberal elite that like, talks down to people and laughs at people so just getting getting out of that yeah i think so i mean i it's just i just i just realized that like i'm just going to be the annoying person for the rest of my life like when everybody's (laughs) having polite dinner conversation trying to do high-minded political talk i'm going to say something that makes them all (laughs) mad (laughs) that's just (laughs) my role in this thing uh but you know over the summer that i mean the protests and all of the way that instagram and social media lit up with all of that radical type of speak you know i just i'm worried about losing those people now i mean we're already seeing it happening um but i I just you know you got to keep doing it it's just a a different different scenario now i guess you know Uh, well go ahead i mean i think like yeah things like food not bombs where you're serving the people things like tenants unions things like uh you know helping people with their debts, things that are like around like um, demanding healthcare where you're actually organized around people's basic needs. You don't have to like fight with your family necessarily, but like organizing with people around their basic needs. And then you get in conversation. You're like, Oh, Hey, what you said is a little homophobic. I hope, I don't know if you know that right. really nicely, like not like call out culture, but like, Hey, I love working with you. You're awesome. But um, when you said this and that, you know, that kind of thing. No, that's, that's actually really good advice. I think that people get tripped up on that. or and, and, you know, when I say being the annoying friend, that doesn't mean like yelling and scolding. It just means like, 
bringing up something uncomfortable and just letting it sit, you know. Oh, and also, and just saying, yeah, uh, you know, we don't say that term. The term isn't really popular, uh, you know, anymore. Or it's kind of outdated. Makes sense. Um, so, so what do you what do you think that the average person needs to know about the the prison system moving forward? I guess in the health situation. Well, it really is just, a, it's always been bad, but right now we're just in a really terrible crisis with the COVID-19. There's been so far um, almost 200,000 people in state and federal prisons have tested positive for COVID-19. So that's about one in 10 or almost one in 10 people in state and federal prisons. And that's only the people they've tested. So it's really bad. They can't socially isolate. Um, the guards often refuse to wear masks. You know, the guards are Trump supporters and COVID deniers. So they're actually getting it in the community and then they bring it into the prison. They don't wear masks and the guard unions are very strong in each state. And so like they're not being required to wear masks. They're not being required to be tested. So those are some of the things. Um, there have been hunger strikes in like over a hundred hunger strikes between March and June. We're probably going to start seeing them again because it's just worse than ever right now. So I would say immediate the immediate um, situation with the COVID-19 is and so it's pressing. <laughs> and where are you based out of? Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Okay. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there's plenty of these organizations in every major city that if you wanted to get involved and help and figure out what you can do. Uh, right. I mean, it's, it's, um, there are small groups. Um, you know, one thing I would say if you have, um, yeah, one thing you, your listeners might be interested in is the um, incarcerated workers organizing committee of um, the Wobblies, yeah. the international workers of the world. They're great. And they have chapters in different locations. I mean, the prison movement is so much smaller than it should be the anti-prison movement. And, you know, um, there are little book programs that send books to people in prison, but there, no, there's a lot of places that don't have a group, but if, but you can find, you can find the group. You could even, people can email me and ask and I can try to find a group near them. Um, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. No, I, I didn't know. I was just wondering. Uh, I, yeah. I didn't know. We ha like there. There's a few I know of in Columbus that let, write pr write letters to prisoners. Uh, Redbird is one here in Columbus, but um, I don't know uh, of any specifically. I, di I didn't know what the state of the state of the scene was. <laughs> um, it's just everyone's overextended, and like we need we need help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you said all that money goes. All that money costs a dollar per flyer to, to get them into the prison? That's right, yes. Um, so, yeah, the total cost for, like, we, we just sent our fall issue to the printer um, a little bit late, but um, it's about $5,000, and we have, um, so to just to print it and then to mail it, um, and we have about 5,000 meters. So it's, it works out to just a dollar, yeah. Wow, all right. So uh, where can people follow along with what you're doing? Do, do you have social media or a website or anything? Yeah, thanks. Um, we have a website. It's prisonhealthnews.wordpress.com. It's a free website. You just get so much bang for your buck with this organization. <laughs> so yeah, prisonhealthnews.wordpress.com. We're also on Facebook as Prison Health News. We're also on Twitter as Health Prison. I guess I don't know why Prison Health News was already taken, but I guess it was. But um, and also we're on Instagram, although we thought we have not posted anything for a while. But sometimes we'll post some beautiful art that people in prison make on our Instagram. 
Yeah, have, I mean, have you have you do you uh, you have people that write in? You said as well. Yes, we get letters constantly from people in prison, mostly with health questions and sometimes with advocacy, like help help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I appreciate the work you do. That that's that's incredible. Um, I wish I could. I did something as as closely beneficial to everybody, but I do have an army full of listeners um, yeah. that, that will definitely uh, help help you with your fundraising and, and getting more information out there. Uh, I appreciate your time today, Susie. Thank you so much. Oh, another thing is that we're always looking for more volunteers and we're doing it all remotely. Um, even before the uh, pandemic, um, we, we answer the letters remotely. So we have people all over the country doing that and we can train you like we can train people um, because we have um, reliable health information websites, resources that we, we can send to. The, so if you don't have any, you know, we've got nurses and doctors working on it, but we also have people who have no experience right. with that. Yeah, if you so if anyone's interested in that. Yeah, it's like basic customer service thing. You know, here's the answer to this question. Here's the answer to this question. So, yeah, plenty yeah. of people have done. I've done that job before. Um, <laughs> and and yeah. just uh, email you or email the page or or how do you, how, if someone wants interested oh. in, in volunteering. Thank you. Yeah, it's prisonhealthnews at gmail.com. Prisonhealthnews at gmail.com. Um, and if you want to selfishly support prison health news you can buy a t-shirt from street fight radio they're available at store.streetfightradio.com i'm going to have them going in a little bit into december so you got a couple weeks to go here uh and Susie, once again thank you for being here and sharing this i really appreciate your time thank you so much brad it was fun talking with you and we really appreciate your support not a problem have a good one you too bye